Howell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I want to say a special thank you to the various fill-in hosts who took care of this time slot while I was on vacation. It is very, very good to be back. And as I look at my upcoming calendar, um, not uh, no vacation time, I think, until uh, maybe right around Easter or so. So we will be spending three hours together on a daily basis. Lots of stuff to discuss, including some things that happened over the past 10 or 11 days that we'll kind of double back on, and lots of new stuff as well. We're also going to be watching what's going on in in Wisconsin, what's going on in Washington today, as the Republicans try to get over dysfunction and figure out whether they can elect for the first time in a number of years their own Speaker of the House. It should be a perfunctory thing. It's being held up by a handful of ultra-conservative Republicans, and I honestly do not understand what their end game is, but we'll talk about a little bit about that a little bit later. But first, I, I want to start out, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've had, actually had a number of postings over the last couple um, weeks, but today it is a public service announcement that we start the program off with. The language police at Stanford are, are back. A couple days ago, Stanford University, which is one of the premier universities in the United States, um, they came out with their findings on what they've been doing for a number of months. It's called their Harmful Language Initiative. And the report is the elimination of harmful language in connection with the initiative. And, well, here's how they describe it. The Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative, the EHLI, is a multi-phase, multi-year project to address harmful language at Stanford. Um, This is a priority. The goal of the Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative is to eliminate many forms of harmful language, including racist, violent, and biased language on Stanford websites and in the code. The purpose of the website is to educate people about the possible impact of words we use. Language affects different people in different ways. All right. And they'd say, well, by the way, we're not attempting to address everything. So this harmful language that we are about to roll out, it's not necessarily an an exhaustive list, but it is some of the things that you may want to avoid. Now, if you... If you're going to listen to this and you go through this list, I understand you might say, Jeff, you are making this up. You spent some of your time off just like kind of coming up with words and phrases that, you know, the, the woke crowd would would adopt, that this is kind of like your version of the onion. If you think that, au contraire, because if you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620, I have a link to the 13-page report on the harm, uh, elimination of harmful language initiative. So where do we start? Now, I don't have enough time to give you the, the every word that is on the list, but let me, let me highlight some of the language that you and I should pledge, apparently according to the folks at Stanford, not to use moving forward into 2023. This is not an exclusive list. But the word addict, 
You know, like he's a heroin addict. You are not supposed to say addict anymore. Instead of saying addict, you may say person with a substance use disorder. Using first-person language helps to not define people by just one of their characteristics. So if you want to say, like, that that junkie just broke into somebody's house and stole a bunch of money, um, well, okay, you would say now, the person with the substance use disorder just broke into somebody's house and stole all that money. You are not supposed to say addicted. Instead, you may say hooked or devoted. Because by saying the person is addicted to heroin, you trivialize the experience of people who deal with substance abuse issues. So you must now say devoted. In other words, the junkie laying on the corner with the needle out of his or her arm is devoted to heroin. You may no longer say basket case because, well, you know, basket case in, boy, that person's just a basket case, or I'm a basket case over this issue, because... It originally referred to one who had lost all four limbs and therefore needed to be carried around in a basket. So it would be offensive to people who lost all four limbs and needed to be carried around in a basket. Instead, you are supposed to say nervous. Okay, you can no longer say blind study, you know, as in we're we're conducting a study and we don't want to know the test results. You know, we want to just find out. We don't want to know the test results, why we're doing them. You now must say masked study, because by using the word blind study, you unintentionally perpetuate that disability is somehow abnormal or negative, furthering an ableist culture. And, of course, none of us want to be ableist. All right, it goes on. You can no longer say committed suicide. You have to say died by suicide, because committed suicide is ableist language that trivializes the experience of of people living with mental health conditions. Huh? You may no longer say crazy because that is ableist language that trivializes the experience of people living with mental health conditions. So what do you instead say, that was crazy? You say, that was surprising or that was wild because saying crazy might offend crazy people. You can no longer say dumb as in, this is one of the dumbest uses of money that I have ever seen. Instead, you have to say non-vocal or non-verbal, because the phrase dumb was once used to describe a person who could not speak, um, and it trivializes that characteristic. So you can't say, you can't say dumb. All right. You cannot say insane. You instead have to say uh, let's see, surprising or wild. That would be insane. In other words, this study is absolutely insane. Nope, cannot say that anymore. Let's see, some of the other phrases that you can't say. You can't say sanity check. Nope, because this term could be offensive to those dealing with mental health issues. Instead of saying sanity check, you have to say confidence check, coherence check, or fact check. In other words, you can't say the people who did this study need to have a sanity check. You can't say tone deaf, as in, huh, that particular point of was really, really tone deaf, because that is ableist language that trivializes the experience of people living with disabilities. Instead of saying tone deaf, you have to say unenlightened. Now, my question would be, doesn't that trivialize people who, in fact, lack enlightenment? You can't say walk-in. 
You are not allowed to say walk-in, as in, gee, I've got a little bit of a cold. I'm going to go to the walk-in clinic and see if they can give me something. Instead, you have to say, I'm going to the drop, I'm going to the drop-in or the open office. Because if you say walk-in, that is ableist language that trivializes the experience of people living with disabilities. I swear, you cannot make this stuff up. The list continues. All right. Culturally inappropriative. You can no longer say bury the hatchet, as in you've had a feud with somebody, but you've decided for 2023 you are going to bury the hatchet. Why? Because using this term is cultural appropriation of a centuries-old tradition among some North American indigenous people who buried their tools of war as a symbol of peace. You can no longer say chief, because calling a non-indigenous person chief trivializes both the heredity and elected chiefs in indigenous communities. Calling the indig- an indigenous person chief is a slur. All right, well, of course, the White House has a chief of staff. In the Navy, you know, you have chief petty officers, etc. Don't get me started. You can no longer say guru. Instead, you have to say expert, because in Buddhist and Hindu traditions, the word is a sign of respect. Using it, using it casually negates its original value. I would say this is insane and dumb, except then I would be violating some of the other phrases that are down there as well. You can no longer say low man on the totem pole, as in the new guy or gal is the low man on the totem pole, because that trivializes something that is sacred to indigenous people. You can no longer use the phrase tribe, as in he's part of our tribe or she's part of our tribe because that historically was used to equate indigenous people with savages. Instead, you have to say friends, network, family, support system. And then it goes on into the gender-based terms. And again, lest you think that I am just pulling these out of thin air, check it out. Again, it's Wagner at 620 WTMJ. And of course, gender-based terms, you can no longer say chairman, chairwoman, congressman, congresswoman, landlord, landlady. Instead, you have to say property owner. Gee, I'm going to give my rent check to the landlord. Nope, don't do that anymore. That is inappropriate. You say, I'm giving it to the property owner. You can't say mailman, even if your mail is delivered by a guy. You can't say, hey, I'm waiting for the mailman to bring me that check. Instead, you must say mail person or postal carrier. You can also say letter carrier. You can no longer say man hours. That's You have to say person hours, effort hours, labor time. Did I mention how dumb this was? Mankind. You cannot say mankind anymore because the term reinforces male-dominant language. You can no longer say man-made. Instead, you must say made by hand because the term reinforces male-dominated language. You can no longer say manpower because that term reinforces male-dominated language. Instead, you say workforce, staffing, staff resources, or personal resources. It goes on. You can no longer say the word abort, as in we're going to abort the mission, because that term can unintentionally raise religious and moral concerns. Okay? My favorite, and it's where we started, you are no longer supposed to say American. So like Lee Greenwood's, I'm proud to be an American. No, no, no. You cannot say that anymore. Instead, you have to say U.S. citizen. I'm proud to be a U.S. citizen. Why can you not say American, according to Stanford? Because the term often refers to people from the United States only, thereby insinuating that the U.S. is the most important country in America, which is actually made up of 42 countries. 
This, I swear, is one of the dumbest things that I have ever seen. You can't say circle the wagons. Instead, you have to say take a defensive position because Hollywood movies about settlers migrating west contributed to this phrase, which means the savages are about to attack. So you can't say that. You cannot say, um, let's see, Indian summer. You have to say late summer because the term infers that indigenous people are chronically late. Huh. See, I, I, I've never even thought of some of these things. You cannot say Karen because, um, you know, the term Karen has gotten to be interpreted as being um, a certain group of people based on behaviors. Instead, you are not allowed to say Karen. Instead, you're supposed to say demanding or entitled white woman. Now, I don't know about you, Charlie, but I would think I would make an argument that if you're going to be offended, I, I think I think saying you are a demanding or entitled white woman is at least as offensive as calling somebody a Karen. But that's that's just me. I, I mean, I but this, that is the suggested you, you can use. You can refer to that white woman as being demanding or entitled, but you just you can't call her Karen. Uh, you cannot say user. You have to say client because user is often neg- uh, negatively associated with drugs. So even if you're so you're you're a user on your I don't know your internet platform stuff, you cannot say that. You can't say victim anymore because it defines the fact that you are you have been victimized doesn't define all you are. So you have to say a person who has experienced whatever. And you've got the other things. You can't say black mark. You can't say black sheep. You can't say grandfather because the term has its roots in the grandfather clause. Huh? Um, you can't say scalper or scalping. You can't say scla- uh, slave labor. The list goes on and on. You cannot say convict. Instead, you have to say a person who is or was convicted of of sexual assault. You can't say beating a dead horse because the expression normalizes violence against animals. I know you think I am making this up. I swear I am not. No, so you can't say beating a dead horse because that normalizes violence against animals. You cannot say you're in an abusive relationship. Because the relationship doesn't commit abuse. Instead, you have to say you're in a relationship with an abusive person. You can't say we're going to kill two birds with one stone because the expression normalizes violence against animals. You can't say there's more than one way to skin a cat because the expression normalizes violence against animals. You can't say pull the trigger because it unnecessarily uses violent imagery. Instead, you have to say Let's give it a go or let's give it a try as opposed to let's pull the trigger on buying that car. You cannot say no rule. You cannot say the term rule of thumb. Why can't you say rule of thumb? Because apparently the phrase is goes back to an ancient rule that allowed men to beat their wives with sticks. You can't say hillbilly. Instead, you have to say a person from the Ozark region of the United States. It goes on and on and on. But you get the idea that this this is now 2023. This is where wokeness has taken us. This is where we can't use these terms because somebody somewhere somehow may be offended. 
Well, all right, this is my New Year's resolution. I'm not going to pay attention to any of this stuff. And I understand there's words that have been used maybe in the past that take on a different connotation. And maybe, you know, language always has to change. But when we get to a point where you can't say American because somebody might be offended somewhere, it's time to just sit and say, you know, we need a sanity check. But, of course, you can't say sanity check. You could say, you know, boy, these people are really tone deaf on what goes on in reality. But you can't say tone deaf. It's enough to make you want to walk into your doctor's office. But you can't say walk in anymore. (sighs) You cannot make this stuff up. This is where we are in 2023. And it's one of the reasons I'm here to talk about it. Welcome back. Yep, we, we can't play that song anymore because there are people that are offended by the term American. Can't say that because it tends to indicate that Americans might have a superiority, and it refers to those of us who live in the USA. And don't we know that there's 42 other countries that exist in the Americas, and Stanford doesn't want anybody who happens to live in those other 42 countries to be offended. Yeah, well, kind of get over it. But this is, I, I bring this up because this is where we are in 2023 with the politically correct and the perpetually offended who are trying now to be the language police. And I think, you know, most of you end up getting it. One of our texters says, I was listening to you while I was walking down the street. I was laughing so hard. I almost fell into the manhole. I'm sorry. Is that a person hole? Um, yeah. So you've got that um there's a number of people are saying okay well jeff you need to cut to the chase what can you say and and that's that is a very very good question because we're now at the point where you can't say hey you know so and so is a drug addict no you have to say there are a person that has a problem you're taking heroin or things like that can't can't say any of that stuff anymore be careful because, again, the, the language police might be out to get you. When we come back, it was the big story across the country, and certainly here we'll discuss it in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of our texters says, oh, that, that last bit you did, that's, that's the most boomer thing I've ever heard about. Progress is not wrong. What's wrong with coming up a list that makes it... Uh, calls our attention to culturally insensitive things. And my my response was, hey, boomer, how how, how dare you start one of those things by calling somebody a boomer? Don't you realize that's certainly ageist and probably violates a lot of the other rules on this politically correct clap trap as well? All right, let us move on. Okay, over now, I, I did not travel over the weekend. Didn't travel over the weekend, didn't travel over the holidays, so I was not caught up in the air traffic debacle 
that occurred o- over Christmas. Although I know a number of, of friends that, that had. I had some very dear friends that I was with, for example, on New Year's Eve. Their kids, they had two daughters. They and their husbands both live in Texas. And they had flown in. They had gotten in before that the, the mess of, of the big storm came in. But there were no way they were able to get out. They were supposed to fly southwest to uh, Dallas, I think, or something like that direct. And, and the flights just, just canceled no chance and with no, at least at the time this was happening, no real idea about when they would be able to fly back. So what they both did is they were able to rent cars and, and they drove from Milwaukee back to Texas, which is what a number of people ended up doing. I know other people who got caught in the travel nightmare who still don't have their luggage. They have gotten to their, their destinations. They've gotten back home from where they were stranded or they've gotten, if you know, they've been able to get where they were going, but they have no idea where their luggage is. I was talking to somebody two days ago who was saying, "Yeah, that that's it. It would happen to my kid." The last they heard was that her luggage was in a warehouse in Cleveland, and, and they're going to try to reunite her with her luggage, but you, you don't know how. Complete and total meltdown, and it involved mostly, not exclusively but it involved mostly Southwest Airlines. Now, Southwest Airlines is the airline that, that I, it is my go-to airline. And if you're flying out of Milwaukee and you want to fly direct, it's pretty much your, your only choice. I mean, there's other airlines that fly out of, of Milwaukee, but if you go to where I go, which is like Southwest Florida, or you go to Las Vegas, you're, you're pretty much, it's Southwest unless you want to fly to Atlanta or fly to Minnesota or something like that. So I tend to fly Southwest. I also, while I have you know, some minor issues with them, I, I've never had any huge problems. I find them to be largely on time. Um, they get you where you're going. I, I've never had a problem with baggage and things like that. So I, I'm, I'm here as a fan of Southwest. But you can't deny it was a complete and total meltdown, a meltdown apparently caused by a couple factors. Southwest is one of the it's it's the largest airline operating that doesn't operate out of a hub system. Most airlines have have hubs like Chicago is a hub for United Airlines. So what will happen is a, a plane will start in Chicago, it'll fly its route, and it'll end up back at its hub, Chicago. So you have the, these planes that ultimately they're all going to be based in one location. That makes it easier when you, to know where your planes are when you have like a huge problem where you have to cancel flights for a couple days. Southwest doesn't do that. Southwest operates on what they call a point-by-point system. Their, their planes are... Rather than coming back to a hub, they're constantly on the move. They're going all around the country. And so what happens is when you have one of these major traffic you know, problems, one of these major weather problems or whatever, you've got planes scattered all over the country. To compound that, apparently Southwest uses this very, very antiquated um, software that might have been fine in the 1990s, but it sucks for 2023. And they, they couldn't find, Southwest couldn't determine where their flight crews were, and they couldn't determine where their planes were, and they couldn't determine where their, their pilots were, because, okay, you've got, rather than a plane coming back to Milwaukee, if Milwaukee was going to be your hub, for example, that the plane's out in Fargo, North Dakota, and it's snowed in, and you lose track of where that is. All of this contributed to just a huge huge debacle that led to Southwest, what, canceling flights up until, gosh, last Friday or Saturday, I think, was the first time in about a week 
that Southwest was able to get back to normal operating. And, of course, there were lots of people who, like I say, still don't have their luggage. There were people who were just completely and totally inconvenienced. There were people who had to do what my friend's kids had to do, which is like rent a car and and drive to Texas as opposed to flying. And it's just from a public relations standpoint, it is a meltdown it's just from a business standpoint, it's a meltdown. The stock price w- was cratering, and there's really no indication that Southwest is going to spend the money to make the upgrades that they need to do to avoid having this happen again if you have one of these major web systems. And if they do do that, let's face it, it's going to be a ways off. It's going to be a ways off. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line new sponsor this year the old national bank talk and text line 855-616-1620 i have a simple question i am a fan of southwest i did not get caught up in this the next couple air trips i have planned are all on southwest when i'm going to book in the future i'm still planning to fly southwest because like i say my experience has generally been good I've got the Southwest credit card, so I get the frequent flyer miles, and they fly direct to where I want to go. And so I'm not going to change my flying habits. My question is, are you going to fly Southwest again in the future? And particularly if Southwest was your airline of choice, has anything that's happened over the last couple weeks caused you to rethink that? My guess is, for most people, it's probably not going to be the case. Now, if Southwest keeps having meltdowns like this, maybe that'll be the case. But for everybody saying, I'm never going to fly Southwest again, I just flat don't believe it. If you want to fly from Milwaukee to Las Vegas direct, or you want to fly from Milwaukee to Orlando direct, or you want to fly from Milwaukee to Fort Myers direct, or any of the other direct flights that Southwest has, chances are I think you're still going to be booking on Southwest. Will this have long-term impact? My sense is no. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank. Talk and text line we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank. Talk and text line. But, I mean, to to give you an idea, uh, uh, last week, look at these numbers. I mean, Southwest, if if it wasn't a complete meltdown, I don't know if you can say meltdown in our politically correct world anymore, but I think so. All right, uh, daily cancellations last week, top 2,300, 2,300 flights canceled a day. Um, now, they got off over the weekend. They ended up canceling fewer than 100 flights combined on Friday and Saturday. So they're, they're, they're starting to get back to normal. But let's face it. I mean, this was a mess, and it exposed a problem that, that Southwest has. And, look, I, I don't claim to... I don't claim to understand how you do logistics at airlines, but again, I think it's very apparent that what happened pointed out the problems that Southwest has in using this point-by-point system where the planes are all over the country as opposed to using a hub system. Secondly, it certainly exposed the problems that Southwest had using, you know, software that they purchased in the 1990s, you know, that doesn't really, that completely and totally melted down and they couldn't, they didn't know where planes were. They didn't know where flight crews were. They might have pilots, but they didn't have the flight attendants. Just a mess. And and now they're digging out from it. And Southwest has always prided itself on service. I guess my point is when I was listening to all these people thinking, oh, this is going to be the end of Southwest, I, I, I don't. I don't think so. Now, obviously, if this becomes 
a constant daily sort of basis that you're canceling flights. It's going to be one thing. But I think the reason people like Southwest is it is reasonably, um, it's not the lowest price airline, but it's not the highest price airline. You still, as long as you don't mind that, that boarding, you know, by, by the numbers and things like that, it's, it's not bad. You've got the um, bags that travel free, which I, I'm not sure that they're the only place in the industry that does it, but there's not a lot that end up do it, doing it. And at least if you're you know, here in Milwaukee and you want to fly out of Milwaukee, not drive to Appleton or not drive to um, Chicago, where you know, then you get different options. But if you just want to go down to Mitchell Field and fly out of there and you want direct flights, you know, Southwest is it's not the whole ball game, but it's pretty much of the ball game. And, and my guess is... Unless Southwest has multiple repeat instances of this meltdown, I think, you know, they're, they're probably it's not going to hurt them. Jeff, my family was impacted. I had to drive from Baltimore to Palm Coast, Florida on Christmas Day. I'll continue to fly direct routes with Southwest. I will probably pause on connecting trips. Southwest needs to op- update their technology. Example, with Delta, you can track your bags, your incoming flights, etc. A lot of information provided proactively. Southwest doesn't have that um yeah jeff southwest had a big problem in june of 2021 and canceled several flights as well they cost me over twelve hundred dollars to find a different airline to get home it took over 30 hours they are now my last choice of airlines and i will do anything to avoid them jeff my daughter just spent a week in poland on a school trip with no luggage due to southwest airlines she returns tonight her luggage has still not been found it turned a school trip she was really looking forward to into an expensive nightmare now obviously again like i said in in leading off this subject i I wasn't caught up in this if i had been i don't know if i had decided hey i'm gonna fly to las vegas i'm gonna gonna stay in las vegas for you know a, a couple days and then come home on christmas eve and not been able to get home on christmas eve and not having my luggage, I I might have a different um, feeling. Jeff, we will not be booking our future flights with Southwest. It was our primary, primary airline, but after they canceled our flight to New York City, we needed to quickly pivot and drive as we had plans for visiting our kids. We were fortunate we were able to do that. We will be using Delta now. Bonus is direct flight to LaGuardia, something Southwest hasn't done since the pandemic. Jeff, I'm still going to fly on Southwest. I'm going to Jamaica in April. We leave out of Milwaukee. I'm using my points so it's an overall, so it's overall, it's free. I'm leaving a day early to allow for any flight delays and or cancellations. Jeff, I have flown Southwest for many years with no problems. Don't they get a second chance? Well, I, that, that's going to be, I guess that's going to be the decision that all these people who were on the, you know, 2,300 flights a day that were canceled are going to have to decide. Jeff, Southwest is my airline of choice. I'm going to keep flying it. Things happen. Yeah, it's annoying as heck, but if I stopped doing business with every company that messed up, I'd be using no one from restaurants to the post office to the airlines. Jeff, to me, American is the best airline. They're a little more expensive, but you get what you pay for. That's the airline I fly twice a month for business. So you got that there. Jeff, um, like you, Southwest Airlines is my number one airline. My wife and I have a home in Arizona and use it a lot. I hope they correct the problems because I would hate to see it fail. For me, I will continue to use this. Jeff, I'm going to continue to use Southwest because next time somebody else will melt down. Um, well, yeah, I mean, all it, it is, look, if, if I was the new executive at, at Southwest, 
I would be taking this as a significant wake-up call because, I mean, all the airlines had problems. And, and let's understand, you had that massive storm that impacted three-quarters of the country, and, and you had the, the, the blizzards and all those things. So I under, understand why flights ended up getting canceled. What was unique about the Southwest problem was it was worse than any of the other airlines. They couldn't get back on their feet, again, because of the software and because of the the point-to-point system instead of the hubs where they had airplanes scattered out all over. If I'm the new CEO and you want to win back trust, first thing you have to do, and this is probably the first thing that they should have been doing like when this first started happening, is saying, okay, Let's figure this out. If we're not going to go to hubs, we need to upgrade our our computer software. We need to know where these planes are. We need to be able to pivot when you have one of these major storm events. Because even if there are people out there that are willing to give, that got caught up in this, that are willing to give Southwest a pass, my guess is they're not going to give Southwest a pass a second time. Maybe maybe you get that, that one free mistake. But if it keeps happening, it's what kills an airline. Jeff, I'm like you. I have the Southwest card. I buy points. I earn points with the cards. I like the airline. Um, um, probably the closest, I think, to what you would typically get to something like Midwest Express. I think it's a value having up to two pounds bags included without any extra charges. So, yeah, I'm still all in on Southwest. And um, I, I, am, I am as well. Um, I, am, I am as well, but... I will admit that I was looking at my my next plane flight, and I'm going, huh, hope there's not a big storm moving through the country the next time I'm supposed to fly on Southwest, because I certainly don't want to end up getting stuck somewhere. Okay, here's some breaking news. Um, Not a surprising news. It, It just... It is so frustrating to me that the Republican Party cannot get its act together. Another example of that now. The Republicans have a majority in Congress. You you need 218 congressmen to have a majority. Even though 2022 elections were a disappointment to an extent, there wasn't a red, red wave, they took control of the House of Representatives, all right? The Speaker of the House, this would be the person who would be the next Nancy Pelosi, You need 218 votes to be the Speaker of the House. Now, the problem with the Republicans is their majority is only 212, 222. So you you can't, you have to have, you can only lose four Republican votes to get that. So they just had the ballot. Kevin McCarthy, who's been a longtime Republican leader, who has the overwhelming support of the caucus for the first time since 19, I believe, 23. The party in power has been unable to elect the speaker on the first vote in the House of Representatives. So the votes are all in. There's 212 Democrats. They all voted for the Democrat candidate. 203 Republicans voted for McCarthy. Ten voted for Congressman Biggs. Nine voted for others. So 19 Republicans voted for somebody other than the Kevin McCarthy, who, as a result of that, they have kept McCarthy from becoming the Speaker of the House. So, and, and, before you, and I guess the way the rules work, you can't swear anybody in, can't do anything till you get a Speaker. And this is only the second time, again, once during the Civil War this happened, and, and they, they went for a couple months, I think, without having a speaker, and again in 1923. But now you have Republicans. I, I'm not sure if this is triggering or, again, we were talking about the Stanford list. I don't think I can say shoot yourself in the foot anymore because somebody might be offended by that, that reference to violence. 
But talk about shooting yourself in the foot. This is the day the Republicans have taken over, and you can't get your act together in the caucus and agree. So right now, and again, so that they're going to go to a second ballot and a third ballot or whatever. But the way it works is you need to, it's not a majority vote. So the fact that the Democrat got more votes that every, all, all the Democrats voted for him, that doesn't make him the Speaker of the House. So you keep going until somebody gets 218. So you've got a, a breakout group of, of s- small breakout group of extremely conservative Republicans who are throwing a hissy fit right now. And again, this, just like so many things that the Republican Party has done to itself, an unnecessary, un, unnecessary wound. They can't elect the Speaker of the House on the first vote. So it's going to go to a second vote. I can't tell you what's going to happen. But right now, Kevin McCarthy is, he's at least 15 votes short of where he needs to be. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, a follow-up to what I was mentioning at the end of the pro, at the end of the last hour and what Mike Spalding was talking about. Look, there, there's no way you can color this uh, as, as anything other than an historical embarrassment for the Republican Party. This, it's just, it's an indication of of the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Uh, an, a bunch of people who just can't get their act together. As we were saying earlier, the, the way it works is you need 218 votes to be the Speaker of the House. Maybe a couple le- a couple fewer if if people decide to, if, if they're not there. So, but of the votes that are cast, you're going to need 218 so there's 212 Democrats. All the Democrats voted for the Democratic candidate. Okay. So in normal circumstances, 218 Republicans would vote for Kevin McCarthy. He would become the Speaker of the House. However, you have this dissident group of, of Republicans, and it's, it's, it's a lot of the really hardcore, and I mean hardcore conservatives, who don't think that Kevin McCarthy, who's been in leadership for the last 13 or 14 years, they don't think he's conservative enough. I was watching one of these guys on Fox News last night, and and the commentator was saying, okay, you you say that, you know, you you want McCarthy to change. What exactly do you want him to do? And then you get this humana, humana, humana. It's really a small number of people who are just kind of throwing a hissy fit. And as a result of this, I mean, you don't know where this goes. We're in uncharted territory. They're they're not going to elect the, the Democrat. But this idea that you've got a small group of people who are holding up this nomination and, and actually holding up the business of the House of Representatives because they don't swear in the new people. They don't they don't do anything until you elect a Speaker of the House. Now, I I do think it's going to get taken care of at some point in time. But whether it's Kevin McCarthy or whether it, it's some other candidate emerges, this is. This is a, a party that essentially, you know, doesn't have really much more than a work, doesn't really have a working majority of votes. And they're being held hostage by some of the fringe of the party. And it just it does not bode well moving forward, because, I mean, as I, I was saying, once Republicans took control of the House of Representatives, I, I was I was hoping that, OK, this is going to be a real chance to try to get legislation passed. This is going to be a chance to move agendas and things of the like. Um, but but no, it, it doesn't. It, right now, you, you start off by just 
being unable to get your act together. And I don't know how long this is going to go on. Don't know whether McCarthy is going to ultimately able to bring around enough people who will cast the votes. But it's not a pretty picture for Republicans, and that's not a great way to start. All right. This is, on the other hand, a great way to start the new year. And I want to double back to something we talked about um, in the last couple weeks of December. At the risk of being labeled this cruel, heartless conservative who does not care about people, I have constantly maintained that in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, allowing people to live outside in tents in the winter is not humane. It's just not. And yet that's what was happening. Remember, we had this this tent city by way of background. Remember a couple of years ago, authorities allowed 40, 50, 60 people to set up shop and essentially live under freeway um, overpasses and in, including in really, really cold weather. Well, that was the year the Democratic National Convention was coming to Milwaukee and the powers that be did not want the image of Milwaukee that was going to be projected nationwide to be of a bunch of people that are living under a freeway overpass. So they pretty much came in and cleaned it out. Okay, that's fine. Well, MacArthur Square, which is, for those who are not familiar with the area, there's the safety building, you know, where like the, there's a safety building in the jail, and then there's the courthouse, um, that MacArthur Square is the, the square, the, the, like the park that s- surrounds that area. Well, there were at, at its height a couple weeks ago, there were like over 40 tents. You had people that were living in tents on this public property. Matter of fact, you had a couple well-intended, but I think misguided groups who were pushing the city to put in like porta potties to make it easier for them to, to stay. You know, that, that's that, that's just the bottom line of this. And I was thinking how crazy that was. you got to get people out of tents. You can't be enabling them, and yet that's what a lot of these groups were. Well, we all know what happened, what, about 10 days ago or so. We got this incredible cold spell, and, you know, nobody should be outside when it's, you know, 10 degrees or 20 degrees below zero with the windshield. So what happened is about 95%, I think all but two of the tents, people that were in the tents, um, they were able to find warming shelters. They were able to find places for them to go, which is a huge, huge victory. Once the weather got cold, at that point in time, they were able to say, okay, look, you can't stay out here. And so now what's happened is the county has, I believe, taken down all but maybe one or two of the tents. The porta-potties are scheduled to come out if they haven't already come out. So MacArthur Square has now been essentially cleared out of the homeless tent encampment, which is good. The headline story in the local newspaper said it's a good day. Majority of tents occupied by Milwaukee's homeless population removed from MacArthur Square. And it is a good day. There's no question about it. But here's what I want to talk about. We should all agree that it is good that the tent city is almost gone. Now, here is the tough question. Should authorities do whatever they need to to make sure it doesn't return? So in other words, now that the temperatures have moderated, now it's going to get cold again. i got some bad news for you. It's going to get cold again. But now that the temperatures have moderated, now that, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, 30 and 40 degrees, not, you know, 20 below, I think there's going to be a temptation for people to want to go back, pitch tents, and go back to how they were living before the cold snap hit. 
So the question is, should authorities allow that? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. My answer is not just no, but it's, it's heck no. Now that the tents have been removed, you cannot allow them to go back. We cannot allow a repeat of this. Can we? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. So glad to welcome them to the program as a sponsor. Okay, if you're just tuning in, here, here's what we're talking about. In right before Christmas, the authorities had allowed a, a tent city to sort of spring up on MacArthur Square, which is the area for people not familiar with this. It, it's the area around where the courthouse and, and the safety building is. And they'd allowed it to spring up. They had allowed local groups, which, by the way, are well-intentioned, you know, who, but who enabled this because they'd come around and they'd give people tents and they'd give people sleeping bags. And I think Hunger Task Force was leaning on the city and ultimately, like, put in a couple porta-potties. In other words, they, they made it easier for people to live in these tents outside. And I think authorities recognized this wasn't a good idea, wasn't a good situation, but they, they didn't want to confront this directly. So what's happened is after we had that cold snap, you have most, if not all, of the people who are in this tent city have now moved on to shelters. And, and let's face it, there's the reason that the, uh, there are a lot of people who are homeless just by circumstance. There are some people who are homeless by choice. By that, I mean they, they don't want to go into the, the shelters, for example, because the shelters have rules. The shelters say, okay, you can't drink. The shelters say you can't get in fights. There's The shelters say you have to be in by 7 o'clock at night. And there's some people who just don't want to follow those those different rules. And I appreciate it as a complicated area. But my point has always been it is not humane to allow people to, to give a person a tent and allow them to to stay outside when it's 15 below zero or to you know bring in porta potties to make it easier for them to do that. So now that the weather has essentially forced people out of there and most if not all the tents are gone, the question is, do you let people go back? And my answer is no. Authorities cannot allow there to be a repeat of this. Jeff, there was a sexual assault in the tent city. The police looking the other way the whole time, as reported by one of the uh, local TV stations, Milwaukee police say the sexual assault appears to be an isolated incident. Um, they haven't added any patrols there. Jeff, obviously, let's not let it return. The city, county, and the state didn't, don't do their jobs. Well, I, I appreciate Look, it, it's a difficult situation, like I say. But if you look at a lot of these homeless encampments, both in Milwaukee and otherwise, what, you, you see that there are certain common characteristics, and, and some including sexual assault, some including the drug use, some including the heavy alcohol use. You have the whole lot issues of thefts and stuff. It, it is not a humane environment, particularly when you overlay that with the fact that at some point in time, in the relatively near future, I'm sorry to say, it's going to get really cold again. So now that we have cleaned this out, I don't think that you can let this end up, you know, going back. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. And I know the mayor feels the same way. And the mayor, I know, was very, very upset when they were talking about the whole idea of bringing in the porta-potties and things like that, because I think he recognized this was enabling what was a bad situation. Well, the weather has, in one sort of weird way, the weather has given the authorities the ability to clear out this homeless encampment. Now, I think it is incumbent upon authorities 
it's incumbent upon the police department, it's incumbent upon the mayor's office to say, okay, we're not going to allow this to occur again. Now, I appreciate that along with that, you have to continue to make the commitment to make sure that you have people who are finding the 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 shelters who are getting in off the streets. And I also understand it's a really difficult situation when you're dealing with some people who choose not to go in there. But nevertheless, you can't allow these homeless encampments, these tent cities, to spring up. Maybe you can get away with it in Vancouver. Maybe you can get away with it in Portland. Maybe you can get away with it in L.A. But you sure as heck can't get away with it in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in January. So very glad to have you with us. Also, so very glad to be back after some time off over the holidays. Like I say, I'm looking at my vacation schedule, and I, I'm here for um, on the air for the next 13 weeks or so. Nothing, nothing until that week right before Easter. So we'll have a lot of stuff to chat about. You know, in, in some respects, you know, what's the old song about? You know, the new boss is a lot like the old boss. It, it appears that around here, the new year is starting out like a lot like the old year. If you were playing along. The final Jeopardy answer is 224. 224. The question is, how many homicides were there in the city of Milwaukee in 2022? Now, the the, the official total right now, I was checking the list. It's at 214. But actually, I don't think that counts a lot of stuff that happened in the last couple days. I I believe the number is going to come in at 224. To give you a perspective on this, last year, that would be 2021, Milwaukee set an all-time record for homicides at 193. The year before that, it was 190. I remember, I am old enough to remember when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, you know, chasing drug dealers and things like that, 1987 was the first year that the city hit 100 homicides. And that's when, that was when actually crack cocaine was was making its inroads into particularly the, the city of Milwaukee, and you had rival street gangs that were going and they were shooting up the city as they were fighting over street corners. It was kind of just like you used to see on The Wire or the, the HBO show. And, and that, I remember thinking, my God, they've had 100 homicides. That's absolutely unthinkable. And now we're at 200, and I think the final total is going to come in at 224. That Think about that. That's a person being murdered more than every other day. I mean, that, that's, it is just staggering that you have this kind of violence that is out there. And, of course, the new year has started off the same way. I mean, here's the story from the local newspaper. Two people were arrested after a 17-year-old was killed in a shooting on Milwaukee's north side late Sunday. That would be New Year's Day. The two arrested, a 16-year-old boy and a 22-year-old man, were also injured in the same shooting that was reported at 11.20 p.m. on the 3200 block of West Villard Avenue. 16-year-old was taken to a hospital. 22-year-old initially fled, but later summoned help. He was then hospitalized. Fatal shooting is the third in three days in Milwaukee, closing out of December that saw an increase in homicides. I mean, it's just... It is just absolutely incredible how much violence there is and what a disregard for life there is. And what's most frustrating about this is the fact that, you know, whenever we have these shootings, you know, we we get the lip service from the politicians. I appreciate it. Everybody comes out and says, we're we're appalled that you have a a 17-year-old who's, you know, murdered. And we're appalled that this shooting occurred. And we're appalled that there was that death. And and I've never doubted the legitimacy of, of the politicians and the people who come out, and, and they're appalled by this. But at the same time, 
they're not willing to do the type of stuff that you need to actually address the problem. You know, one of our texters is saying not that long ago the homicide rate was under 100 per year. Yeah, it, it was, and you've had this incredible spike, and there's nothing to suggest that it's going down. Now, look, I understand that you've got the homicide rate is going up in urban areas all across the country, so it's not a problem that is unique to Milwaukee, but as somebody who pretty much grew up here, I mean, I think this community is a unique community, and, and we have to end up doing better. So what are the solutions? Well, First of all, we we need to get away from the political correctness. We need to recognize you need more cops on the street. You have to flood the high crime areas of this city with police. You have to be aggressive and going back to the broken windows type of law enforcement, which says that the little stuff is important because if you don't stop the little stuff, that little stuff or the people who are committing the smaller crimes quickly becomes they can become bigger crimes. It be the little stuff becomes big stuff. That's what we saw in communities over the years where we got control of violence. We have moved the other direction around here. We've gone to the other direction where we say, oh, it's not a big deal if people steal cars. And, and yeah, we're not going to waive juveniles who steal cars into adult court unless they're fleeing from the cops at 100 miles an hour and they hit and kill somebody. And we had another story like that that happened not that long ago. But you've got to get control of the city. And I, I, we have a new mayor. New Year, you've got new members of the Common Council. Maybe it's time to sit back and say, look, this is going to be the year that we try to take back the streets. Because I'm telling you, what happened in 2020 wasn't acceptable. What happened in 2021 wasn't acceptable. What happened in 2022 was even worse. You've got to take back the streets to make this a livable community, to make it a place that people, for example, who live here feel safe living here, and a place that people who live in the suburbs want to come to take advantage of all the good stuff that's going on, not worry that if they park their car on the street, they're going to come out and find the windows broken. Like, by the way, week ago tonight, went to the Marquette game. All right. Now, I, I spent the 30 bucks parked in the parking structure. I was talking to somebody I know who parked on the street and, you know, they came out to find the 25 cars had their windows broken, parked on the street. Well, okay, you, you think any of those people who drove down from the suburbs are going to come back again? City's got to wake up, because if it doesn't, this becomes like the second act of the movie Escape from New York. Were you watching that football game last night? Did uh, you I see was. the hit? Unfortunately, yes. I just, it, it, well, it was so... It's so random because, it, I mean, a lot of times you're watching football games and you see these these massive collisions and you understand, oh, wow, I understand why that's that guy's not getting up from that or really been hurt. That, I mean, it was the defensive back that initiated the contact, the guy who got injured. It really, in, in the scheme of things, you're going, oh, gosh, where, where was the contact? But apparently what the cardiologists are saying that the the hit was – if you hit at a certain part of the body right between heartbeats, you can essentially stop the heart. And that apparently, it's a real freak thing, but it must have happened. You know, yeah, you're right. The scariest thing was that it looked like a, you know, quote-unquote routine play. Yeah. Of all the things that happened in an NFL game, Carol and I were talking about this today, when you watch the replay of almost any play in the NFL, it, it, you're like millimeters away from catastrophe every single right. time. And in this one, it just looked like a regular old play. And seeing someone get up like that to where they look normal and then just, Doing like almost the cartoonish like wobble and then fall Shit, over. Down, yeah. It was yeah, it was it was scary and uh, yeah, I, I commend the, the broadcasters who were on there because that's like an impossible task to take over. Well, you know, I've been reading about this, and again, like they say, there it's it's this weird sort of thing that if, if you have an impact to just the right spot, right between a heartbeat, apparently it, it can 
cause you to go into cardiac arrest. And they were saying that occasionally it, it, it'll happen typically with kids or younger kids or high school baseball players or whatever, where maybe you get hit in the chest with a, a line drive with a ball or, or something like that. That's what causes it. It rarely happens with adults just because of the way the body develops. But you just you just sit back and look. And I, I guess the other thing I was always thinking about, Mike, is that, you know, everybody, including myself, occasionally talks about, you know, how much money the, these athletes make. Well, I mean, football, you know, you really are. Your your one play, you know, one millisecond away from having your career end, or in this case, you know, we, we all hope for the best, but a lot of people are thinking this guy's life was over. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case, hopefully not, but, man, you, you can't pay people enough money to go through that. No, and then and the, the players and the coaches who were on the field, the referees that were on the field and were so close to this when it happened, you just... You feel for all of them, and it's you know obviously it's uncomfortable to watch. But well, they knew something was up yes, right away. Immediately, I, it, right, it was like I, as soon as he went down, you know, it wasn't like sometimes there, there's a moment. There, I immediately, right when he went down, I saw a couple of players that were immediately waving. Hey, something this this is not this is not the guy screwed up his his knee or something like that, which I'm not minimizing. That they knew that this was something really big. Yeah, and especially different. You don't ever normally see like both not only the players but the coaches and everyone like that come together on the field at the same time. When we come back. All right, we've got all this money sitting around in a budget surplus. Is now the time to get rid of the state income tax? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Okay, so true story. Uh, uh, New Year's Eve. Gosh, when, when, was, when was New Year's Eve? So Saturday night, I, I'm at dinner with my friends Sue and Doug and Mike and Kathy and, of course, my wife Fran, and we, we run into... Another another couple who had actually been with us on on our Alaska trip last uh, last uh, late fall last August, and I, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen them for a while, and we're having a conversation, and they said, "Yeah, well, we're glad we saw you because you know we're, we're heading down to Florida." I think they said they were heading down to Florida today. I said, "Oh, okay, you know that, that that's you needed to head down to Florida a week earlier. They've got a they've got a place in Southwest Florida." And I said, "That's great," and th- my friend said. Yeah, what we're going to do this year is we're going to uh, we're going to try to go for Florida residency. The guy I'm talking to is a um, retired doctor, so I mean there there are some assets that are involved. I would guess. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think he probably did pretty well. But he said, "Yeah, we're going to try for residency." You went know, and to to be um, to be a Florida resident, you need like six months and and one day there. And I said, "Well, that's kind of interesting. I'm I'm sort of curious." You know, why Why are you doing that? And they said, well, it's because Florida doesn't have a state income tax. And, yeah, okay. And, and I mean, I, I have no idea what tax bracket the guy I'm talking to was in. But, I mean, obviously, that would probably be a, a pretty significant savings. And, and then, as I was talking, I said, oh, so-and-so said he's moving to Florida. And then I started talking to some other people who I did not know. I mean, I knew that they had places in Florida, and all these other people that I'm talking to are saying, yeah, we're Florida residents, we're Florida residents, we're Florida residents, and it's all because of, of the state taxes. And the idea that, okay, we, look, here in Wisconsin, let's let's face it, we've, we've got a tough tax climate, and, you know, the weather doesn't work very well when you're talking about, like, November through March. And so I, I, I'm talking to a number of these people who are, Again, I, I would say wealthier, but they're they're paying they're paying a lot of taxes. They're paying a lot of federal taxes and they're paying a lot of state taxes. And they are making the decision to move to Florida. Now they're not completely abandoning Wisconsin. 
you know, they're, they're going to keep their place in Wisconsin, but, you know, they'll be in Florida six months and a day, so they don't have to pay Wisconsin state income tax. And I was thinking about the large amount of, of money that's just, that's just sucked out of the state, you know, by that. And, you know, yeah, they, they still pay sales tax and things like that, but they're not paying state income tax, which it was interesting because there is a, there's an op-ed piece in the local newspaper of all places. And it's written by a guy named Chris Reeder. And, um, this, this is the headline. Eliminating state income tax would be a game changer for Wisconsin residents. It would drive economic growth. Um, and he goes on to write about how, you know, the, the number of groups over the last year have developed the first ever proposal to eliminate Wisconsin's individual income tax, which would make Wisconsin the 10th state overall and the only state in the Midwest without a personal income tax. And then it goes on and talks about how a number of community leaders have started, you know, um, supporting this. And the argument would be with a $6.6 billion state surplus, you know, now is, is the time to cut taxes and move towards transitional tax returns. Um, the reality is that states with lower taxes pull in workers and they pull in families. And the argument is that Wisconsin, you know, should should keep pace. And the proposal is, okay, well, how, how are you going to fund state government? And the idea would be, okay, well, what we're going to do is we'll increase our, our sales tax and maybe increase some fees. But what they found is that by running the numbers, if you increase the state sales tax by 3%, that plan would result in a $3.5 billion statewide tax cut and save the average household $1,700 each year. Now, that's the average household. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, obviously, some households are going to save more, some are going to save less, but the average household would be $1,700. And the argument is, if we don't do this, Wisconsin's economy is going to fall behind because other states are moving forward, they're drawing in workers to reduce taxes. Meanwhile, the existing businesses here are going to continue to struggle to hire people, and we're going to continue to wrestle trying to find out-of-state companies that we want to have come to Wisconsin and bring jobs, especially when, look, we're losing out on the climate front. That's just the reality of this. And we're losing out on the tax front. So let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. Is it time especially now that we've got this huge budget surplus, is it time to start thinking about eliminating the state income tax? They do it. They do it in Florida. They do it in Arizona. They do it in other states. We would have a chance to be the only state in the Midwest that would do that. Would that be good for business? Would that be good for individuals? Could we pull it off? And if we're thinking about new ideas and big picture, isn't that a great way to start? And wouldn't that help us keep a lot of people who've grown up in Wisconsin, who are Wisconsin residents, who are now deciding, hey, I'm going to head down to Florida, I'm going to head out to Arizona, because I don't want to pay state taxes anymore. 855-616-1620, we discuss. See, I I really believe that there should be no idea that's not on the table. And if we were ever going to think big here in Wisconsin, especially when it comes to tax reform, this is the time to do it because you've got a $6.5 billion tax surplus. 
and, and you can you can do some things and you can say, OK, let's try to have a long term perspective on this. And, and if you want to really talk about thinking big, one of the ways to do that is, all right, is to say, OK, let's let us make ourselves like Arizona or more like Texas. Let's be the only state in the Midwest who's in a position where that it's. There's, there's no state income tax. Now, look, I, I understand that means you're, you're going to you, you pay other ways. You know, like in Florida, you register your car. It costs you a lot more so that they get the money. But it, it's a net gain for people. And if we're not going to consider major tax reform, if we're not going to do it now, when are we going to do it? Let's talk to Dave and Rippin. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, hey, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. And- Yes, now is a really good time to do it. Uh, it. It's a very good time. We do have a surplus. I don't think anyone argues that. And it would just be a very good time to transition to that. And I think we're going to miss our window if we don't do it now. Well, well right. And, and the, let's see, the problem that comes with that is that how moving forward, how, how do we – how do we retain people? How do we um, you know, retain our young people? How do we stop our, our older people from retiring and moving out? How do we attract businesses to, to come here when we're competing with some of these states that have a low-tax environment? And I understand, Dave, You know, we talk about this sometimes and people's eyes glaze over and do they think the taxes really make a difference. I, it really got hit home to me the other night when I'm talking to one couple after another, all who, because of taxes, have changed their residency from Wisconsin. It, they, they wouldn't have done that were it not for the impact of state taxes, but state taxes drove them out of the state, at least as far as being a citizen. And I I am right there as well. I'm not, I'm almost your age, and I'm, I'm about there as well, and it's starting to get to be the point where it might make enough difference. Well, well, right, exactly. And thanks for the call. I mean, you have to, and again, you have to, I, you know, it, it was sort of funny because after I, I was always of the position, oh, is it really, is it really that much money? And again, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I suspect that I'm not in the tax bracket that some of these people I was talking to the other night were in, but it was. I, I went home and I, I pulled out my state tax forms for the last couple of years and just as a way of like show research, I started looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, well, even if you're paying, even if you're paying like, you know, various user fees and even if you're paying like a higher auto registration tax and all, you, you've got to, you you got to pay a lot in fees or increase sales tax or whatever to make up for that that nut that is the the state taxes. Now there, there's another idea that's floating around, which is a a three percent flat tax. And remember, you know Tim Michaels. There were people. Oh, Tim Michaels says it's going to be a flat tax. This is going to be regressive. This is going to be terrible. And we were unclear as to whether Michaels was a proponent of that. That's, I guess, a step towards this. But I'm thinking maybe this is the time to to think big and you know just do away with the tax. Now a couple of people are texting me saying, "Well, no, don't, don't you understand? This is going to be regressive. This is going to put you know an undue burden on poor people." Well. It, it's going to split the burden. All I will tell you is the studies I'm looking at say that on average, the average Wisconsin taxpayer is going to come out ahead by $1,700. So at some point in time, you, you have to start, I think, considering that. Plus, the other bigger picture is, what does this do if we create a positive tax climate? What does this do for making 
I know this more attractive for people to, you know, to come here. Jeff, I think it would be amazing, but unfortunately, I think it's very unlikely. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it is very unlikely. Jeff, funny, your friend didn't mention he was moving to Montana, Alaska, or North Dakota. They all have a lower tax burden than Florida. Well, right, I understand, but North Dakota, Montana, and Alaska don't have a lot of the other attributes that Florida or Arizona or Texas have. So it's not exclusively the tax burden, but here in Wisconsin, you're competing with the bad tax against these, these attractive states. You're competing on climate and you're competing on the, the tax burden. So, you know, where, what are we going to do to, you know, take our, our best and brightest, the, the best kids that are graduating from UW-Madison, for example, how are we going to keep them in Wisconsin? That, you know, our kids who have gone off to college and you'd like to have come back and, and work in Milwaukee or work in Madison or work in La Crosse or wherever, what are we going to do to attract them, to give them the incentive to come back? And I would argue that the state income tax is a good way to do it. Jeff, I don't see Tony Evers supporting getting rid of the state income tax, so how would it get done? Well, this is what you need, is you need leadership. You need it to come from the Assembly. You need it to come from the State Senate. And you need to go out and make the case that, hey, this is a perfect thing to do. Show where the alternative revenue sources are going to come and then demonstrate that this might, big picture, really be a game changer. And look, I'm all about game changers. You know, the city of Milwaukee is complaining about the census saying it undercounted, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people. Well, wouldn't it be nice if instead of having that argument, we were having the argument about, hey, we've grown. And, you know, we think that we have 50,000 new people instead of X number of people that we've lost. Just saying. Hey, you know, at the end of the last hour, we were talking about how the, in many respects, in not good respects, the, the new year is looking a lot like the old year. Well, that's true not just in homicides, but it's also true in just the incredible amount of stupid, reckless driving that's out there. Now, quick story. Uh, last, it was last Wednesday. I posted a picture of this. Uh, my my wife and I, we, we went out to Wauwatosa, met my brother and my nephew for kind of like a pre-New Year's dinner. And so we're, we're driving on the on the freeway. So we're coming 43 South through the Marquette Interchange. And and there's there are two lanes if you're going from 43 West on, on 94. And it's about 530 at night or something like that. And I'm, I'm in the right of those two lanes. And I notice... The car in front of me is coming to an almost complete halt on the freeway. And the car in front of him is coming to an almost complete halt on the freeway. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, this is, this is bad because, you know, there's, it's the freeway. And, you know, what's going on here? Well, what I saw happened is the car in front of these two cars was in the right lane getting ready to go westbound on I-94, had realized they didn't want to go westbound on 90 on, on 94. And instead wanted to go south, continuing south on 43. So they, they were in the right lane. They had come to a complete stop and then were making like a left turn crossing three lanes of freeway traffic. I, I and, and my wife is, is just thinking we're going to die. And, you know, it's just and I, I'm thinking that we're not going to die because I'm slowing down, but we might certainly smash into a car. And I'm thinking that the idiot who's crossing two lanes of traffic instead of just you know, going on and getting off the freeway and coming back another way, that they're certainly going to die. But you just see all this incredibly bad driving and reckless driving that's out there. Well, then you have the, the drunk driving. New Year's Day, 7.30 in the morning, you have this drunk 21-year-old 
who hits and kills a 52-year-old Menominee Falls man who's in a car with his 70-plus-year-old parents. This is like 98th and Good Hope, which is a road that I drive all the time as I'm trying to go from the North Shore over to, I don't know, um, you know, visit you know, my, my stepdaughter and son-in-law in Sussex or things like that. It's 98th and Good Hope. It's not an area that you think is necessarily you're taking your life in your own hands, but apparently what happens is you have this 21-year-old punk who's drunk driving well in excess of the 40-mile-an-hour speed limit who ends up smashing into this vehicle. He, as often happens with these drunks, walks away from it, kills the young man, the 50-some-year-old man, and seriously injures the guy's parents. But, again, another day, another dead person on the highway because of irresponsible drivers. When is this going to end, he asks rhetorically. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, before you, you leave, I, yes, I, had, I had one of those I'm feeling old moments when I, I was talking to my producer, Charlie, and I was saying, okay, well, here, here, here's some music I want you to get for, for the show. I, I want you to, we, we did the bit at the beginning about the, the phrases you're not supposed to say anymore in 2023, including you're not supposed to use the word American because somebody who's not from the United States might be offended by that. And I've, I've got a link to all those words up if you follow me on Twitter. Something else that I, if you follow me on Twitter, Anita Pointer of the Pointer, Pointer Sisters passed away in the last couple of days. And, and I sent out a tweet about this. If you want to open up a time capsule and see what fashion and entertainment looked like in 1985, you absolutely have to check out the music video of the song Neutron Dance, which I, and I've got that I've got a link to it. But Neutron Dance was made famous because it was kind of like the theme song of the movie Beverly Hills Hot Cop. And so I, I'm telling the story to my producer, Charlie, who looks at me and says, never heard of Neutron Dance <laughs> and never heard of Beverly Hills Cop. So let me ask you this. Okay, have you heard of Beverly Hills Cop? I have. Have yes. you seen the movie? I have seen the movie. I'm okay. not that. I'm not that young. Well, no, I, well, I just I, I understand. I was, it was he was making me feel that old. Have have you are you familiar with the term Neutron Dance? I did not know about Neutron Dance, but I do know the Pointer Sisters. Okay, well here here's here you once you hear this, you will remember it. I have heard of both. I just haven't like seen or heard the song itself. Okay, another another and you haven't seen the movie. No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, all right. Give, give us give us a song for people who might not be familiar with it. And it's hard to say, just oh yeah! Oh, absolutely! Oh yeah! I'll be honest. I know the song, but I never listened to the words. All right. Well, so okay. So here's. Here, here's the here's the really cool thing. So I was going to send this out on a tweet because I, again, the Anita Pointer. There are four Pointer sisters. Anita is the third one who has passed away. But so I was I was looking for like a YouTube version of of the song to put up there, and the one I found, and I had not realized this, but this, the, the, of course, it, it was the song that's like the theme song for Beverly Hills Cop. And for people who watch it, there's a big car chase in the beginning of the movie and stuff like that, and it's played to the tune of Neutron Dance. Well, this. They turned that into a music video interspersing the Beverly Hills Cop movie with the Neutron Dance. And the Pointer Sisters are playing like usherettes at a theater that's showing Beverly Hills Cop. And it's all these people who are dressed in the classic mid-1980s 
costume, I mean, outfits, you know, with the sort of like the back to the future look and that kind of stuff. It's, it is an amazing video and it's just an amazing song and it's a time capsule. And my only defense is everybody dressed like that in 1985. <laughs> definitely, it was a time. It was a time, Jeff. It was a time. So if you want to, if you want to see Beverly Hills Cop and, and the, the music video of Neutron Dance, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, and again, the, the purpose behind this was Anita Pointer, the Pointer Sisters, just, uh, just passed away. It's a couple of people are texting me. Um, best scene in the movie. So a couple of people are also suggesting that I, I owe it to my producer to kind of take him out and spend a week just trying to improve his his movie education. And I, I you know just just to acquaint him with some of the movies that were big in like the seventies and eighties and the nineties and things like that. And and maybe in return he can um, he can do the uh, he can do the same thing for me when it comes to some of the more recent stuff. Um, Jeff, Neutron Dance is a song when Eddie Murphy is driving the truck through a neighborhood, demolishing everything in its path. Absolutely it is. Best scene in the movie. And if you want to watch the movie, the music video, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 We've got that. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, is it a big deal or isn't it a big deal? I will explain. We will discuss. I'm sorry, I'm sitting here chair dancing. You, you, just, you cannot listen to that without chair dancing. Um, Neutron Dance, one of just the, the great tunes. And like I say, if you want to, I, I, I found the, the music video. Remember when, you know, back in the day when MTV first debuted, that's what it was. It was music videos, and that was the big thing. And they tied them in a lot of times to like movies and stuff that was going on. So that was always one of my, that was just one of my favorite ones. Okay. Interesting story in the Journal Sentinel today, and and my question to you is going to be, is this a big deal or not? Now, hear me out. There is an election for the state Supreme Court that is going to be in April. The primary is in February. There are two conservatives running, Dan Kelly, who's a former state Supreme Court justice, and Jennifer Doro, who is the Waukesha Circuit Court judge, who's been on the bench for a long time, but kind of rocketed to fame with the way that, that she handled the uh, the trial of the you know guy who uh, ran down all the people at the Waukesha Christmas Parade. So you, you've got those two. They are the conservatives. And the thinking is one of those two will emerge. On the other side, there are two liberals that are running. One is a very, very liberal Milwaukee County Court, Circuit Court judge, and the other is a circuit court judge out of Madison named Everett Mitchell. And the common thinking is that one of the conservatives will emerge and one of the liberals will emerge. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but I think that that's, that, that's kind of what's likely. So, okay, Dan Bice, Journal Sentinel, has, has a column in today's paper, at least it's in the online edition, about Everett Mitchell, who is – the circuit court judge out of Madison who is running. And I want to kind of give you the details. And again, I I, I sent a link to this again on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. 
Um, he, this is not my side of the aisle. I, I'm not going to be voting for Judge Mitchell. I'm, I'm just not. So I really don't have a horse in this particular race. But but here's here's what happens. Here's the story, and this is what Bice writes. State Supreme Court candidate Everett Mitchell was accused by his ex-wife of sexually assaulting her at the end of their time together, although the accusation was never investigated or prosecuted. His ex-wife, her first name is Marin, made this allegation in court in 2010 during a heated custody dispute over their then five-year-old daughter. Uh, the wife included documentation showing she told two people, a therapist and a cop, about the alleged sexual assault within two weeks of the time she said she ha- that happened in 2007. So this is something that happens in 2007. It surfaces in a custody dispute in 2010. Um, the judge, Judge Mitchell, says it, the accusations are false. He says he was never charged criminally. He says the Dane County family court judge handling the custody case sided with him and gave him primary placement of the child. In separate ish- interviews, uh, both Mitchell and his ex-wife say they've both put the allegations in the case behind them. The daughter is thriving in college, and their children from their second marriages get along as well. So this is something that she alleges happened one incident, one time, um, in 2007, never taken to authorities with the idea that I, I want to file criminal charges about this, um, raised with a judge in the context of a custody dispute, but never pursued beyond that. The ex-wife says, no, I, I've, I've moved on. Um, don't, you know, I, I've moved on. I, I, I don't want to, I have no interest in pursuing this particular incident. Police didn't investigate the case. Um, and so essentially th- th- this came, th- th- this, this came to nothing. And again, it is the context of, okay, you've got two people who are divorced and are in a heated custody dispute, and this is an allegation from 2007, which never resulted in charges, as near as I can tell, was never investigated and was never pursued by the alleged victim. And now, here in 2023, the, the, the ex-wife has no interest in pursuing this. And this is, of course, now it's the headline story. Supreme Court candidate Mitchell's custody battle included an allegation of abuse from his ex-wife. Both now say they've moved on. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Should we care about this? And again, I bring this up. This is this is not my side of the this is not my side of the aisle. Judge Mitchell is one of the two liberals that are running for the state Supreme Court. I'm not going to be voting for either one of them. So I, I don't, you know, whether his campaign, you know, crashes and burns or not, doesn't make any difference, at least to me, one way or the other. It's not a candidate I'm supporting. But here you have a situation. I'm thinking, okay, the guy is running for statewide office in 2023. In 2007, ex-wife makes a claim of abuse, and it, it's it's one situation. Uh, the, the allegation in the, the paper goes into it. She says that she took sleeping pills, and then, you know, that they had they had intercourse against her will. That, that's what the allegation is. But she never, never pursued it, never went to authorities, never been investigated, never led to any sort of charges at all, and apparently the family court judge must not have 
at least been too moved by this because he gave Judge Mitchell, Mitchell primary placement. Now the kid is the, their child who was five at the time that this has come up. Now they're in college. The two fam- Both of them have remarried. Their blended families get along well. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Should we care about this? Is this is this a big deal? And I'm not I, I'm not picking on the reporter for reporting the story. I assume that this was out there and maybe was funneled to him by you know one of his opposition research from one of the other candidates or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, how they got it, but I guess I I got to tell you, I look at this and my my reaction is okay. So what? Now, if this was you, you can change the facts. If this was something that, you know, they alleged that he'd been sexually assaulted or abused and, you know, you might have claimed with the police and the police investigated that there were charges that were issued or there was a restraining order issued or something like that. Okay, well, you know, maybe maybe you see where this might affect things. But in this particular case, it sounds like an allegation that comes out in the heated context of, of divorce proceedings, a heated custody battle, and nobody ever pursued this. So if you didn't pursue it in 2010 or 2007, do you pursue it now? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. This is a non-issue. Um, it's He's not on my side of this aisle either, but it's not a factor for me. These allegations get made all the time in custody battles. They both moved on. It's old news from 2007. Jeff, if this was a conservative, it wouldn't be a big deal. Herschel Walker put a gun to his wife's head. Democrats actually care about candidate quality. I don't know what that means. Does that mean the Democrats are going to care about this? I mean, if okay, so if you're a liberal, is this then disqualifying for one of the two liberal candidates? Is this is this the hand grenade that blows up the Mitchell campaign? And I guess I just don't I don't see it because Again, you know, it's one thing to go into people's past, and I'm not downplaying allegations of sexual abuse, but it certainly doesn't sound like this is the type of thing that it it wasn't pursued with any vigor in 2007 or in 2010, and everybody's willing to just kind of let it drop. So why wouldn't voters? Um, uh, Let's see, Jeff, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought— it was a case where she doesn't even have to press charges if the DA or someone in law enforcement feels that there's a need for prosecution. Well, I don't think she ever, I don't think there's a police report or, or anything, you know, anything like that that's in connection with that. Um, there apparently, um, she contacted police. She told officers she could not locate her daughter and feared that her husband had absconded with her in Texas. During the interview, she said that he had sexually assaulted her two weeks earlier when he removed her clothes and had sex with her after she'd taken a sleeping pill, but she did not pursue anything or go into any details. The police officer wrote she was only concerned about her daughter's whereabouts. So this was kind of an aside and a background, and it it never – it's not like somebody goes to the police and say, I want to report a, a sexual assault and I want the person prosecuted at all. Jeff, it's just one more example that journalism is dead in this country. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess it's, I mean, it's, it's a story and, and some people are going to think it's, it's kind of a big deal. I would also say though, that this is one of the reasons I think that some people just decide that they are going to avoid politics in the first place, because you sit there and say, okay, well, we, 
we we've been through I've been through a nasty divorce. It was 15 years ago, and now people are going to go back and they're going to look at like the records and stuff that was filed there. And even though my former spouse decides that she does, didn't really pursue stuff at the time and certainly doesn't want to pursue it now, it's going to be a headline story in the local newspaper. Um, Jeff, some of these issues go back decades. Does anything ever go away? And I guess my response would be, well, if it, it, it all depends. If this is a guy who's on the circuit court bench who was convicted of sexual assault, um, yeah, and it was put on probation or parole or, or whatever, I guess he was convicted of sexual assault, he, he wouldn't be on the bench. But, I mean, it, it just kind of depends on where this all goes. But this idea that we're going to dredge stuff up and we're going to look at all these nuances of people's background, I'm sorry, it's not that. I just think that at some point in time, there needs to be a statute of limitations, number one, on bad behavior. And number two, you know, even if conduct occurs within a certain statute of limitations, you need to look at what the nature of the conduct was and what the allegations are. Jeff, I don't think so. What I think happens is anytime someone runs for office, people do background checks on the candidates to find whatever they can and blow way out of proportion to make them look bad. Like you, I will not be voting for a liberal candidate. But for the sake of conversation, I think they're just looking for anything they can, and this is what popped up. Yeah, a lot of times, just to give you an idea, and I don't know where Bice got this particular story, a lot of times when you see these types of stories, it's it's generally another campaign. It's part of their opposition research that finds the story and then feeds it to people in the media, and they then run with it. And you never exactly know where the story came from. So I don't... I don't know where this came from. My guess, and it's just a guess, would be it's probably, again, from you know one of the other campaigns. But it's, it's a matter of public record if you do this kind of researching. My only point is I just don't think it's that big a deal. I guess time will tell. And if this is the way that Judge Mitchell is introduced to a large chunk of the electorate who's going to be considering whether he could run for office or not, well, it, it, might, it, it's not, it doesn't help. I just don't know that it's fair. Yeah, this election for the Speaker of the House is just, it, it is a, if it's not a mess, it'll do till a real mess gets here. Um, they've now had two votes, and um, you have a bunch of hardline, uber-conservative dissidents who are refusing to vote for Kevin McCarthy. You need 218 votes to be the Speaker of the House. The Republicans have 222, so he can only lose like four or five. He has, he has, um, well, he has around 200 people who are supporting him, but that's not enough. And you've got 18 or 19 of these hardcore conservative Republicans who have just dug in their heels and they're refusing to vote for him. 19 Republicans voted for Jim Jordan of Ohio in the second round. Um, and again, he can only, he can only lose. He can only lose four Republican votes because no Democrats are going to vote. What what these conservatives hope to accomplish with this stunt is absolutely beyond me because at some point in time, as I've always said, politics is the art of the possible, and they've already gotten some concessions out of McCarthy, and I guess you know, maybe, maybe they figure they can deny Kevin McCarthy the speakership, um, but... What do you accomplish by doing that? Just what do they accomplish by doing that? It's not a, it is not a good start. Normally it used to be the Democrats that were in disarray. 
not not in 2023 and not when you look at the Republicans in the House. We're doing retro stuff. Okay, retro stuff on the Wagner Show. So glad to have you with us. As long as I'm, as long as I, as I am railing on, you know, what's going on in Washington and the inability of the Republicans to get their act together. See, because what what should have happened is, I, like I say, I believe politics is the art of the possible, and and you go into caucus. And, you know, you, you make your arguments and you have your votes as to, okay, this is who I want and this is who I want, don't want. But once, once your party decides, the majority decides to go out and to go through one of these public spectacles of, oh, I'm not going along with this. I just, it's just, I, I think it makes, I think it makes Republicans look bad. There's no other way to describe it. The other thing that makes Republicans look bad, and I sent out a tweet about this while I was on vacation, and th- there's nothing a lot you can do, but this, this George Santos character, the guy from New York who was elected to Congress, who, as I said, look, politicians, it is not unusual for politicians to embellish their resumes or the, their records. And, and if you want to go even stronger, it's not unusual for some politicians to, you know, actually you know, lie about their, their backgrounds, like think Elizabeth Warren and her claims to be Native American. Okay, but but this this Santos character, this George Santos, it it goes beyond just an embellishment. It, it's just he, he's made up his entire life. You know, he he claimed academic stuff that he didn't do. He claimed business success that he didn't do. He claimed, you know, various living where he lived that he didn't live there. I mean, it's just one lie on top of another. Now, what happens here is that there's really almost not, once he's elected, there's almost nothing you can do to toss him out because uh, you can because there, there's no recall provisions under federal law. It's not like Wisconsin law where you know somebody could start a recall effort. That that does not exist. Um, you could have, I mean, theoretically, the, you could have an ethics commission which would look at this. But that, as a practical matter, that that's just not going to happen. You could sanction him for these things. You could deny him committee assignments and things. But that really, the, the decent thing to do, and I, I said this on my tweet, was that you know, given given all the lies that the best thing that Santos could do, he should do himself, his constituents, the Republican Party, and most importantly, he could do the country a favor and step down before he is seated in Congress because he's he's not going to be able to accomplish anything in the next two years. And he'll be out of office, you know, at two years if they don't find some crime that he has committed and some of the various lies he told. It's just it is disappointing that you had that. Now, somebody's saying, well, you know, Biden, you know, Biden, you know, lie too. Yeah, Biden, Biden is one of these classic guys who, you know, you look back, Joe Biden's had all sorts of problems with honesty over the years, but nothing that rises to the level of this George Santos. You know, claims that politicians might have made about their heritage or their educational background or certain things. Look, I I understand that. Some of the stuff you can write off is puffing. If you want to say lie, that's fine. But this George Santos, his entire life has been a lie. And for people out there who say, well, the other side does it as well, at some point in time, and this is one of my messages of 2023, maybe we all need to be better and and recognize that it, 
It, it doesn't matter for all the Democrats out there who justify bad behavior by saying, well, Trump did this. Maybe you need to be better. And for Republicans who justify behavior by saying, well, the Democrats do this right and left, maybe you need to be better as well. And maybe we need to look at a guy like George Santos and say it doesn't matter whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, and if he steps down and they have a special election, the Republicans lose that, and they only have 221 seats in the House of Representatives. Maybe maybe the important thing is that you're making a statement saying that sometimes this stuff does, in fact, matter, that we can do better and we should do better. All right. When we come back, like I say, get out of the road. I'll explain. We'll discuss. I am so very glad to have you with us. And um, thanks to all the people I, I heard and got a chance to talk to out and about over the course of the last couple weeks. And I appreciate that. So many people have been listening to the show over all the years, and I enjoy, I just enjoy doing it. And I think 2023, hopefully it's going to be a great new year for all of us. All right, one of the things that happens when you get a new year that comes around is you have new laws that go into effect. You know, a lot of states will pass laws during the course of the year, and they'll be effective like after the first of the year. And I'm looking at a, a list of some in, in some uh I don't know, in some communities, they've got, you know, new laws relating to, you know, abortions. In others, they've got laws relating to tear down homes and, you know, high speed rail and things like that. Um, some cities have, you know, de- some communities have decriminalized uh, drug use. You know, Oregon, which is like the poster child for like, let's do anything we want to do and not think there's going to be consequences. Starting this, starting yesterday or January 1st, you uh, you could now use um, magic mushrooms, you know, as, as long as you were with a quote-unquote guide. You know, you could spend six hours and you could get high as you like, and that that's now going to be legal. Don't get it. But this is one of the things they've done in California. And we talked about this a few months ago when it was first being kicked around. It has been signed into law, and now it's going to be effective January 1st. Let me back up for just a second. All right, I, I said... I said the other, it was last week, Tuesday, went to uh, my, my friends, Nick and Denise, our friends Nick and Denise invited us to go to the Marquette game. So we, we drove downtown, we were around Pfizer Forum, and I ended up parking in the parking structure. But as I was kind of driving around downtown, on three different situations, three different occasions, as I was kind of navigating the city streets to get to where I wanted to go, I had people walk out into traffic. And I'm not talking about, you know, people crossing with the light. I'm just talking about people deciding, hey, I want to go from one side of the street to the other. It doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of the block. I'm just going to walk out. Now, in all those situations, I saw him. I came to a stop, you know, didn't hit him. But I'm thinking, that person just walked out into traffic. You know, and whatever happened about, like, going to an intersection and waiting till the light turns and then crossing? Well, all right. I understand that in many communities, including ours, the idea that you cross at traffic lights and you don't tray walk, I understand in many cases it is a suggestion even though it's the law, it's nonetheless a suggestion. Well, in California, jaywalking is no longer even the law. Starting two days ago, jaywalking, you cannot be ticketed for that. Um, California had a long reputation for strict enforcement of jaywalking laws, in part because they didn't want pedestrians getting hit. 
They have now decriminalized the offense. It is the Freedom to Walk Act that was signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom, who wants to be the next president of the United States, signed this into law. Pedestrians will no longer be given a ticket if they cross outside of designated intersections. In other words, um, you do not have to. You're supposed to look both ways before you step out into traffic. But, no, if you decide it's the middle of the block and you think you can do it safely, they say, no problem. Go ahead and do it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I, I understand jaywalking is not the, the biggest issue. And my guess is that there's not too many people nowadays that get tickets for it. But at the same time, it is something that you can get a ticket for if you decide that you're just going to take it upon yourself to cross into traffic. My question would be, what in the world would justify not considering jaywalking to be an offense? And what do you think is going to happen from this? I mean, if you think you have a problem now in communities with people walking out into traffic, putting their lives at risk and endangering, you know, people who are driving on the streets as well, if if you've got a problem with that because there's so much jaywalking going on now, what could you possibly gain by not enforcing jaywalking laws and, in fact, decriminalizing them. Now, before you go too far and you say, okay, Jeff, what would be their motivation for doing this? Well, again, this is, it's it's woke. Um, California, at least some people were saying that they felt that the law, which has been on the books for 90 years, um, has, they said, well, it, it's effectively, it, it effectively, it, it was used disproportionately against like persons of color. Now, I, I, I take a step back and I say, all right, well, look, if you've got an issue where you have police officers who are targeting people of a certain race or ethnicity or whatever disproportionately to give them tickets, well, that, that's a big deal. I understand. That's kind of like racial profiling, which is, in fact, a, a big deal. But Absent evidence of that, why would we do anything at all to encourage people to do that? Now, one of our texters says, well, I don't believe that crossing in the middle of the street should be an, an issue, provided you do it safely. Well, okay, that's, that becomes the problem. How do, you, how do you do it safely? Isn't just walking out in the middle of a block you know, where traffic is not controlled in any way, shape, or form, my argument would be that that is inherently unsafe to do. Oh, I looked both ways. Yeah, okay, and then you didn't see the car that was turning out of the driveway, or you didn't realize the car was moving as quickly as it was when it was coming down there, or you didn't see carefully enough that, oh, there was a car that turned into the at the corner, and now, you know, I'm going to be dodging them. I would argue that there's no way that you can, as a matter of rule, just decide that you're going to safely cross in the middle of the block, particularly in an urban area. That's why you're supposed to go down to the corner. You're supposed to, you know, wait until the stoplight changes or whatever, and then you do it. And again, I understand that jaywalking isn't the biggest issue one way or the other. But to me, this is where we have this rush 
to try to do away with rules and regulations. And it's like, all right, we're, we're going to, well, we think everybody should be able to do what they want. And, you know, who, who cares if people cross in the middle of the street? Well, okay, you say that until somebody you know gets hit crossing in the middle of the street because they didn't look carefully enough. You know, there are reasons why we have these different regulations. There's reasons why, and I get it, I understand that there's people, believe me, I saw three people the other night that just did this, you know, just walking out. I would argue they're walking out into traffic. They would say, well, you know, we looked both ways and we saw those cars down at the end of the block. Jeff, this happened to me at Sendex and Mequon. Someone just walked right out in front of me Tuesday after Christmas on Port Washington Road. I would have hit them if I hadn't slammed on my brakes. If jaywalking was legalized, would that put me in the wrong in that situation? Well, um... Yeah. Jeff, I wonder what the consequences are for striking, injuring, or killing a pedestrian who crosses outside the controlled intersection. Well, now, I mean, that'll be really interesting to see because before, your your chances, now again, if you're speeding or you're driving recklessly and you hit and kill somebody, even if they're in the middle of the block, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But now, they don't even have an obligation to wait till the end of the street. Jeff, so if my car is 20 feet away from me across the street, I'm supposed to walk better than a quarter of a mile to the corner and then come all the way back to the other side? Okay, quarter mile to the corner? All right, I, I don't know too many city blocks that you have to walk a quarter mile to the corner. Um, Jeff, what would they gain by not enforcing jaywalking laws? If you're crossing not in a crosswalk and get hit by a car, I think it's natural selection. I guess I just think you're declaring war on these pedestrians. Jeff, many pedestrians already don't understand they're not supposed to make vehicles yield any time they wish. What will this new this new law will do? It will make it easier for prosecutors to target drivers and put otherwise safe drivers on further defensive. Yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, unfortunately, in today's day and age, people seem to do whatever they want. I've seen so many people that don't even care about the don't walk signs either. Um, yeah, Jeff, I would rather have cops handling stolen cars and other gun violence than jaywalking. Oh, let them jaywalk. Well, okay, if you're asking me, do you prioritize things? Yeah, I'd rather have them dealing with murders and with stolen cars and things like that, too. But that's not a justification for saying, okay, we're not going to enforce an otherwise perfectly reasonable law, is it? But this is California, and don't be surprised if it's Madison next.